This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. And how, going back to my question too, um, what are some of the differences between China and the rest of the Asian region in terms of how business is done and how people are working? Are things a lot similar between the two? Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, I mean, you know, these are sort of the broad categories. India, another category entirely. How, how is there anything unique to China that you want to point out? Wow, that's a hard one for me to answer because it's like asking the goldfish, what what's the water like? It's like, well, it's just, you know, water? What water? I just live in here. Um, so things that are, uh, I think the speed of change is really unique here, that um, China is uh, adapts to new concepts and new technology uh, with what I call China speed. It's just everything is constantly changing here. And there's a willingness to accept and adapt that make China really unique. Um, and that's why, uh, even though it happened by accident, I ended up in China, I ended up starting this company. And so I'm, my vision is a, an Asia-wide brand, and it started in China because I was here. But actually, the benefit is that China is the best environment for a startup because um, customers are quite willing to adapt to new things, and the, the competition will, will copy and fast follow so you've got to be better. You've got to be continuously innovating, continuously moving ahead. And so it's a boot camp. If you can survive in China, you can survive in the rest of, of Asia. Yeah, I think two, two insights I have to share regarding how China is probably different to the rest of the Asian region is, firstly, the availability of talent, the amount of technical talent and the amount of uh, you know, STEM focus, science, technology, engineering and math, unbelievable talent coming out of China. And uh, a lot of Chinese you know, research and machine learning is just world class. Uh, and I think you know, that's something that Westerners and the Western world sort of needs to sort of pay attention to. The other is, uh, especially in, our, in, in the prop tech industry, China has these five-year plans. And when the government commits to making a change and making it a strategic plan or focus, they will get every stakeholder involved and they'll have the largest companies and this concept of smart cities for example right is creating prop tech that can't be seen anywhere else forget japan or korea that have incredible technology too just when china does it they're serious and companies will will make it their strategy because they know the government's all in on this and even the president can't change the you know plan once it's set in stone. It's something that people will do, and everyone's going to rally around it and make it happen. And when those waves come, they're like tsunamis. You know, if you can ride those waves when the government's behind it, wow! Change is not like will it happen? Will it not happen? The U.S. is victim to a lot of sort of like dilly dallying around with things. What I find with China is the conviction is crazy. Like when they say they're going to do something, they do it full force. And they're like 10 years ahead in some, in many areas, actually, you know, blockchain and the, how, how IOT works there and how technology works. Do you, do you think uh, the world you're in, you know, running your company that uh, the, the Western market will eventually catch up or is it just too far away? That's hard for me to answer because in fact, I haven't lived in the U S since I left 
for England in 93. So you hear my accent, you think I'm American. And I'm like, well, ish, you know, I've now lived more than half my life not in America. It will, I believe in American innovation. I believe that, um, you know, for better or for worse, the American values of individualism and uh, optimism about I can succeed, I can make a difference, I can do this, um, the American dream is still quite strong. And so, um, you know, it's still the the largest tech companies in the world have come out of, of the U.S. And, and the U.S. school systems are the best in the world. Um, that is one weakness that China has. Um, although they do have an incredibly strong STEM curriculum, they also have weaknesses to their education system that make innovation difficult. So, uh, but Absolutely. I think the reason I'm here is that the 21st century will belong to China the way the 20th century belonged to America. So, Barbara, you know, prior to Trump, um, it felt like everyone needs to focus on China. People were sending their children to Chinese schools and, you know, people were picking up Chinese as the second language. And everyone was like, this is where the gold mine is and this is where, you know, the future of collaboration is. We took a step back. We took a radical step back. It certainly didn't help with all the political rhetoric about, you know, the origins of coronavirus. And that's for a different type of podcast, right? But it somewhat feels like tensions are at an all-time high and... Um, it's, you know, and I, I experienced this. I'll give you an example, right? Um, we started to see a lot more U.S. activity when it comes to blocking business with China. So CFIUS, which is a uh, government arm that regulates, I think it stands for Center of Foreign Investments or something like that, but uh, they are there to protect the American interests and they were blocking a lot of acquisitions and a lot of FDI or foreign direct investment. And we, we experienced that when I ran my startup. And it felt like, wow, we're really taking a step back. It, it, it's a crying shame, really, because this future looks so rosy, this, this golden handshake almost, you know, uh, where you have the West and the East are finally working together, superpowers. It feels like it's sort of ruptured over the last um, five-ish years. Do you, do you experience that from your side where you're sitting? Do you have any views on this? Well, I'm, I'm not going to comment. I'm not an expert on geopolitics and I, and I, and I wouldn't comment on, on it, on the sort of political aspects of it from, from the standpoint of, uh, trade and collaboration, um, as you can tell from my life, I'm a globalist. I believe that you know, free travel, free border, free exchange of of ideas is is ultimately going to be better for everybody. I think that uh, I see it on both sides. That uh, policies here um, emphasizing domestic production, domestic consumption, uh, and a little bit of you know China for China, uh, which you know makes sense, and I think is possibly a reaction to maybe that Western view of China as a gold mine. You know, the West saw China as first a producer and then a market. Um, they need to see China as a partner, right? Um, and uh, China is standing up and saying, we create things, we innovate too, we've got things to contribute. Um, we're not just following as a market for the West or a, a manufacturer for the West. We're in we're going to be an equal economic partner. And I think that's 
that's reasonable and just. I hope that in the future that this sort of tensions ease and that there's much more willingness to cooperate and not the isolationism that I see now. But I see this again as a as a short term uh, focus that, you know, the U.S. went through isolationist periods in the 20th century, but it still dominated. It was the major force in the world. You know, Britain dominated the the world economically, politically, militarily in the 19th century. America did in the 20th century. And I think China is the 21st century. It's just how it's going to be. And, and I think, you know, ideally it's a future where, you know, countries lift each other. I think what it takes is we need more, we need more barbers, right? We need more youths, more people who come from the West, who can, you know, be great role models for other founders who, you know, can see the world is very big, much bigger than, you know, the U.S. or, you know, a country in Europe. And European founders are great because they, they tend to realize the country's small that they're in and they have to kind of go global quickly or go, you know, uh, EU-wide, right? Um, I also found, um, you know, I learned a bit of Chinese myself and I committed to it. Uh, I've, got, I've forgotten a lot of it now. But when I went to China and I showed I'm not just a foreigner who's coming in to uh, see it as a gold mine, um, but really see it as an investment that we want to deliver a good, we want to deliver a product, we want to customize our product. We don't just want to take what works in the West and bring it to China. We're going to, we're going to invest in local engineering, local product, local salespeople, a local Chinese-born GM, right? JVs and partnerships. When you do all of this and you also speak the language, suddenly you find the country opens up for you and you get access at the highest levels because you are committing and people experience that. And it's very rare because now more than ever, I think, because of the way the way we've taken a, a step back, I feel like, at this moment in history, it's an opportunity for the next group of Westerners to come out and go to China and partner there. Everyone was, look, more and more people were going to China and it sort of felt like, okay, you're no longer unique when you're going to China. But I feel like it's, COVID has really caused this, um, you know, separation for a while. This is great because as the world reopens and companies go back to China for their supply chains and see China as a partner, you can really have a first mover advantage again. I really say that, like a first mover advantage. You know, it, it feels like that from where I'm standing, at least. I don't know what you see. Yeah, I think the... Um... It's just seeing, uh, seeing the commitment. Um, I've found uh, people here incredibly kind, incredibly generous, um, open, uh, and you know I speak Chinese fluently but badly. I speak like I'm an immigrant, which I am, right? And I will never not sound like a an immigrant. Um, and people are so generous with me because they know it's not an easy language, and I've taken the effort to really make China my home. And the fact that I'm uh, creating an opportunity for China, you know, for that is, you know, going to add to China's economy, the Chinese development. Um, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I think that there are lots of opportunities, but you have to be genuine, right? You can't fake it. You can't just use China instrumentally. And I think that's probably true of any country. And search and fortune, 500 CEOs have, have tried to sort of, you know, play to this and try to show, oh, look, we're coming here. We speak a few words of Chinese, you know, like that's not enough. Like, you know, you have to show commitment and you have to show it by your actions, not your words. 
I think the approach that you said about um, contract negotiation and appreciating that this is a relationship-driven world, uh, we have to sort of, you know, I, I remember my startup, I used to host cultural sensitivity training workshops. For anyone going to any Asian country, we would have an expert come in and explain to them, here's, here's how certain things are, you know, and when we go in and we're very pushy and we want to get straight to the point, that is extremely offensive and rude. And, you know, th there's a way things are done, right? Uh, and it just takes a lot of um, going in and not being arrogant, going in and being humble. And when you do that, then the country literally opens for you. And the land of opportunity is, is one where, you know, uh, it's up, up just bountiful. You know, it's huge. Uh, of course, I mean, look, look, at the, look at how many people there are in China. Look at the, the GDP of the nation and, and the level of technology and R&D. It's the most exciting opportunity if you can focus on it. It's not one you can do lightheartedly, like you said. You know, you can't just tiptoe. You, you do have to commit resources to China, otherwise you'll be yet another case study. Absolutely. I think on the cultural sensitivity side, um, one of the things I, I tell people coming here is you cannot assume that the rest of the world is like America or wants to be. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, many, many Americans, we have this implicit bias that like America was the shining city on the hill that we should, everyone wants to be like America. Every culture wants to be more like American business. Not necessarily. China wants to be more like modern China. Um, equally valid. Uh, so you know, don't expect that the world is going to adapt around you. You need to be able to adapt around the world uh, and learn from it. And there are some great things. As I said, the emphasis on, on relationship. I will never, ever go into a negotiation without knowing who I'm sitting across from and where they come from and who they are and what their reputation is in the industry and who am I getting into partnership with before we start discussing any terms? Because that's what's going to matter in the long term. I can't imagine ever going back to that, you know, sort of contract focused way of thinking. Absolutely. Uh, well, like it's been a pleasure having you on today's PropTech VC podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation.